0: Hello, Irish fans, and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. As always, I am your host, Alex Painter. Thank you so much for just a little bit of your time today, wherever it is you may be listening from. And I guess that could truly be from anywhere since the show's inception nearly a year ago. A year ago this month, actually. We have had listeners check in from 40 states and 16 different international countries. So I suppose that's the kind of success that can be lent to the beauty of the internet, as well as the unifying effect of Our Lady Notre Dame's football squad. I hope you all are staying safe, sound, and well, in mind, body, and just as importantly, spirit these days. I know it hasn't been easy, and hopefully you enjoy this show. I think it's a fun one. It's, it's a presidential episode, if you will, and one that I've been talking about doing for the past couple episodes. So, and if you caught the episode placard, uh, you know who I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, but if you didn't, well, it'll just have to be a surprise. But uh, after receiving some show feedback, I'm going to do a bit of reordering for this episode and see how it goes. I'll be doing most of the normal pre-show announcements at the end of the show and kind of my thank yous and all of that after the main content of the episode. So please, please stick around until the end of the show. And I'll talk about all the ways you can follow and support the show, including becoming a Consensus All-American, that super special sect of listener who support the show monetarily and keep it all advertisement free. So, last episode was about uh, what I, others, listeners of the show, Onward to Victory community members, believe the spirit of Notre Dame to be. I thought it was really neat, very collaborative, and it all came together very well. So, hopefully, if you listened to it, you enjoyed it. If you haven't, go back and give it a listen. It's truly worth your time, and like I said, it was just a really fun episode to kind of put together. So, Uh, And if you participated in the episode, I'll be reaching out here in the next week to make sure you get some show swag. And I got some Notre Dame swag kind of laying around, too. I'll make sure I get that to your mailbox. So, again, in restructuring the show, let's jump right into the leads of the week. So, something that kind of hit the news over the past seven days is, unfortunately, the Notre Dame-Navy game scheduled for August 29th at Aviva Stadium in Dublin, Ireland a game I was looking forward to, I know my buddy who covers Notre Dame as a profession, Len Clark, was certainly looking forward to, has been rescheduled to Annapolis, Maryland, and is likely to be played on Labor Day weekend now. So per a story from ESPN.com, quote, Our student-athletes have had great experiences competing in Ireland and are very disappointed not to be returning to Dublin in 2020. Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick said in a statement, the change of venue has been a very difficult decision for our coll- colleagues at the Naval Academy, but we are in full support of their choice. We are also grateful for everything our partners in Ireland have done to make this a smooth transition. We look forward to going back to Ireland for a game in the not too distant future, end quote. So two things. Number one, A disappointment that the game will be moved, though I absolutely understand the necessity of such a move. I read that actually 40,000 people, 40,000 American people, I should say, had plans to go overseas to the game, which would have been a really awesome and unique opportunity and experience. And hopefully they do, all of you, have a chance to go back if you were one of those folks. But I think it's been really neat that notre dame has been able to pull this off both in the past and the future going to ireland that is and i know some people argue that playing the game in ireland is a pointless public relations game and that's fine you know everyone is entitled to his her or their opinion but i do have a strong sense that since you're listening to this show you might have a good sense of what that irish connection means to the school both from a spiritual, ideological sense, but also the identity of resiliency and scrappiness. That's something that we talk about a lot on this show. So it goes so much further than just the names of the sports teams. And I think it's wonderful, personally, that the school attempts to foster that even just a little bit. So number two, it's pretty exciting also that the notion of games being played is being entertained. Because admit it you probably had more than one moment where you were doubting it yourself. I know I sure did. So Notre Dame and University President Father John Jenkins have seemingly been fairly proactive and vocal about the steps being taken to ensure the safety of the entire Notre Dame community, as well as the safety of those who may be coming in, say, for an athletic game. So from an uh, op-ed Jenkins wrote in the New York Times, quote, Athletic competition presents another set of challenges. We believe we can, with aggressive testing, hygiene, and careful monitoring, keep student-athletes safe. Indeed, keeping healthy, relatively small cadres of student-athletes, coaches, and support staff members is a less daunting challenge than keeping safe the several thousand other people in the campus community. Fans in the stadium, however, are a different matter. Fighting Irish fans regularly fill Notre Dame Stadium's 80,000 seats. I see no way currently to allow spectators unless we restrict admissions so that physical distancing is possible. Our focus to this point has been on restarting our educational and research efforts, and we will soon turn to answer the question of how many games we will play, when we will play them, and how many fans will be in the stadium. End quote. So well, there's that. So it'll be interesting just to see how this all plays out, but fortunately games are being discussed because you know, whether it was Kirk Herbstreet earlier this summer or excuse me earlier this spring saying he was be shocked if college football was even played. I'm I'm happy that we feel like we're in a place that we can kind of safely pull this off even without even without fans in the stands, which would be very very foreign, a very foreign idea, but it's just going to look different this year and we'll just probably have to all accept that come hell or high water so this is probably the point where we can all breathe a collective sigh of relief and be thankful for a national television contract with one of the largest network television stations in the country notre dame of course with the nbc deal so i'm getting pretty excited down here there's a lot of quote unquote season preview things coming down the pike and i like most of you i'm sure can't get enough of this stuff so onward to victory will certainly do a season preview episode, just like last season. And if you follow the Facebook page, you know that I also experiment here and there with some video. So I might do some mini, mini, pardon me, mini videos of the preview, uh, kind of of the preview nature as well. So all right, episode twenty-four. In keeping with show tradition, let's assign the episode a representative who wore number twenty-four for the Irish. So for instance, last episode number twenty-three was the Autry Denson episode. So I wouldn't say the field is lean, but it's certainly not, at least it doesn't feel as packed as the other episodes. So number 24 could be the Mark Green episode, who played running back, but before that wide receiver for the Irish from 1985 to 1988. He finished his career with nearly 2,000 rushing yards, plus another 60 receptions. And on the current squad, we have tight end Tommy Tremble, and linebacker and Hoosier State native Jack Kaiser. They both wear number 24. Actually excited for both of these guys in the 2020 season. Tremble, discussed on the show, probably slide right into that tight end one spot that was formerly occupied by Cole Komet. And Kaiser is a guy I'm just excited about because he went to Pioneer High School, which isn't too terribly far from where I'm at right now. And I always pull for these Indiana kids. But another more contemporary guy is Nick Coleman, who played for the Irish from 2015 to 2018. In his career, he notched 81 tackles and an interception. So if I'm missing somebody, or I should say I haven't thought of somebody, let me know. Number 24, if you can think of anybody, make sure you leave it in the comments for the episode. But I guess without further ado, this episode shall be henceforward dubbed the Mark Green episode number 24. And for this episode, we're going to talk about one of my absolute favorite historical figures, as well as United States presidents, and his deep, intimate connection to the University of Notre Dame, as well as even the football team. That man is John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Why is he one of my favorites? Well, for one, he's the only Catholic president in our country's history, a fact that I'm sure many of you, perhaps even most of you, are aware of. Now, as I've shared on the show before, I am a Catholic myself, and I hail from a large Fort Wayne-based Catholic family, so that certainly resonates. But in 1956, he wrote a book called Profiles in Courage, ghostwritten with Edward Sorensen. But the book essentially covered United States senators who may have defied the opinions uh, across United States history of their party and sometimes even their constituents to do what they felt was right and suffered severe criticism and losses in popularity because of their actions. Though this was the case, the Kennedy focuses on the fact that, in hindsight, these folks were correct in their, in their actions. And the book's fascinating. It's fantastic. And I'm a bit of a history, politics, and law guy, as you probably are aware, but... I own a copy of the book, an early edition of it. Actually, it's been, it's been uh, redone a few times with different editions, but it's fantastic. If you ever have a chance to read it, I feel like that's one of those books that you'll, if you go to a few garage sales, you'll almost certainly find it in the dollar box because it was probably one of those books that if you were, you know, if you or your parents or your grandparents grew up in the 1960s, they might have had one on their shelf. But now Kennedy wasn't a perfect man. And many of you probably know where I'm going with this. He was kind of a bit of a Lothario, and many are aware of this fact. So, since everybody is probably aware of that fact, I will omit that from the story here, (laughs) um, but of course, acknowledging it. But, however, in talking about courage, Kennedy knew courage. He's often criticized because he, and he was criticized because he grew up in an extremely wealthy, privileged, even seemingly white-gloved, almost aristocratic family and background. But let me tell you, this man, and his family for that matter, knew what guts, sacrifice, and courage looked like. His older brother, Joseph P. Kennedy Jr., was killed in 1944 when his plane exploded over the English Channel during Operation Aphrodite. So had you asked his father, Joe Sr., who he thought, if any, the future president in the family was going to be, before 1944, he would have resoundingly responded with Joe Jr. So John himself fought in World War II as well. And he was given command of PT-109, a patrol boat. So yes, the best way I can describe it is, if you've played the game Battleship, it looks kind of like that patrol boat the one that takes up two squares, the smallest one. But anyways, on August 2nd, 1943, PT-109 was rammed by a Japanese destroyer. The ship was practically cut in two on impact, and the PT boat's fuel supply actually exploded, sending a fireball over 100 feet in the air. So apparently, the Japanese destroyer may have assumed that did Kennedy and the PT boat boys in, uh, though two were in fact killed instantly. So this is where the story, in my opinion, gets almost breathtaking. So Kennedy gathered around the wreckage his surviving 10 crew members to discuss whether they should fight on and try to save themselves or surrender to the Japanese. Of course, they're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So Kennedy told his badly injured crew, quote, There's nothing in the book about a situation like this. A lot of you men have families, and some of you have children. What do you want to do? I have nothing to lose, end quote. I wish I could do a John F. Kennedy voice impression, because as you know, those Kennedys had fairly distinctive voices, but I do think that this quote shares a lot about leadership and again, selflessness. But the men decided to try to save themselves and fight on. The issue was that the nearest island was three and a half miles away. Even for the men of America's Navy during World War II, that is a heck of a long way to swim, particularly if you were injured. Badly burned from the explosion, or some combination of both. So if you know much about Kennedy, you might be aware that he suffered from crippling back pain for almost his entire adult life. And not to get too morbid here, because of course this is a Notre Dame football podcast, but when Kennedy was assassinated, it is said that of course he was shot in the head and was that's what killed him ultimately. But however, before that, he was shot through the neck and been, it has been re- uh, written, pardon me, and said that if Kennedy would have just been able to duck his head down, he would have possibly saved himself from that second shot that proved to be fatal. However, his bulky back brace actually sent him sitting straight up in the car, which proved to be very, very detrimental to him. So, But however, Kennedy at this point, even at this point, He is dealing with crippling back issues, which were exacerbated by the collision. So despite this, Kennedy pulled one of his badly burned crewmen through the water to the island three and a half miles with the man's life jacket strap clenched between his teeth. So, yes, with crippling back pain, fatigue and hunger, the future president literally towed one of his injured boys by his life vest using his teeth. And if you can even believe it, two days later, Kennedy and the men continued to swim to a different island. Kennedy again towed a crewmate by his life vest using his teeth. They continued swimming through the shark infested waters in search of food and supplies for six whole days. And when they were finally rescued, before they were finally rescued by another PT boat. So after the ordeal, Kennedy took an entire month to recover in a field hospital. So after World War II ended, Kennedy's career, political career anyways, kind of officially began. So what's the deal with Kennedy and Notre Dame? What and where is the connection? Well, here's one for you. Kennedy and university president, Father Ted Hesburgh, always maintained a fairly close relationship. They wouldn't probably be considered friends, but certainly very, very strong colleagues and also very ideologically kind of cut from a very similar cloth, obviously spiritually as well. They were both Catholic, but a big help on this front is that they were almost the exact same age. Father Ted was actually a mere four days older than Kennedy. They were both born in May of 1917. So in 1950, like William Tecumseh Sherman had 85 years earlier, which was talked about in a completely different episode, Kennedy was invited to give the commencement speech to the new graduates of the University of Notre Dame. He opened the speech with, This is a happy day in my life. I am deeply honored in being admitted to the ranks of the men of Notre Dame. Just as a quick note, this is a couple decades before women were admitted to the school. I have cheered for Old Notre Dame for most of my life, and so you can understand my feelings as I come for the first time to this great university dedicated to Our Lady of the Lake. He ended the speech with a quote from fellow Massachusetts man Daniel Webster, one that I'm super fond of, quote, "Let us develop the resources of our land, call forth its powers, build up its institutions, and promote all its great interests." And see whether we also, in our day and generation, may not perform something worthy to be remembered. End quote. So, at the time, at that time, when he gave that speech, Kennedy was serving as a member of the House of Representatives. In 1956, Kennedy was in the stands, sitting in the row behind Father Ted, to witness the Notre Dame-Michigan State game on October 20th. So also in their group, and there's a really neat photograph that you can find fairly easy in the Notre Dame archives or a simple Google search. But again, also in the group was American political dynamo, Adley Stevenson. Unfortunately, the Irish were in the midst of a two and eight football season. They were coached by Terry Brennan. And that particular day, they would absolutely get waxed by the Spartans 47 to 14. So what's the silver lining here? Well, the future president had an opportunity to see the 1956 Heisman Trophy winner up close and personal. That was none other than the golden boy himself, Paul Hornig. So in 1957, so seven years after delivering that commencement speech... Five years after Father Ted had taken over the presidency of the college and one year after the being in the stands for the Michigan State game, Kennedy was now a United States Senator from Massachusetts, and he was awarded the university's Patriot of the Year Award. So for almost the university's entire existence, they had celebrated the birthday of George Washington around campus with dramatic plays musical concerts, you know, the works. So in 1954, they decided to begin awarding, the students did, the Patriot of the Year to correspond with the event. So what was really cool about this award in particular was that the senior class would actually vote to determine the recipients. So another reason and another way that seniors were honored on the campus of Notre Dame, they had the opportunity to vote for the Patriot of the Year. So comedian and philanthropist Bob Hope, General William Westmoreland, astronaut John Glenn were some of the very early winners. So in 1957, the winner was none other than John F. Kennedy. And he came back to campus to graciously accept the award. And he began his acceptance speech with quote, it is a great pleasure and high privilege to be here with you this evening. The honor you have bestowed upon me touches me more deeply than I can say. I am not sure that my selection by the senior class is evidence of outstanding judgment and wisdom the university has tried to instill in them in four years. But if any student who voted for me ever encounters difficulty in getting his degree, just let me know. It is fitting that you choose the birthday of George Washington as the date on which the men of Notre Dame pay formal tribute to our country and its eternal principles. For Washington's birthday, long before it became a delight to children excused from school and shoppers flocking to one cent sales, was a day dedicated to the memory of not only the greatness of our first president, but also the greatness of the nation he led. End quote. Man, I tell you, that guy had the words. I absolute, absolutely loved Kind of getting in and, and reading some of his speeches but that particular one was a, uh, accessed from the jfk library and i would be remiss not to mention that the director of the jfk library is a man named alan price who also graduated from mine my wife and my younger brother's alma mater of earlham college in richmond indiana so kennedy is ultimately elected president in the 1960 election, edging out Richard Nixon in an incredibly close contest, and the rivalry between Kennedy and Nixon is legendary. And if this were a politics podcast, we would have probably already talked about it already, but it's not. So this is from the Notre Dame archives, quote, When John F. Kennedy took the oath of office of the President of the United States on January 20th, 1961, he was the first Catholic to do so. As such, his name quickly rose to the top of the nominations for the Latare Medal, an honor Notre Dame has bestowed on exemplary American Catholics since 1883. Fearing a loyalty to the Vatican, factions in America were apprehensive of a Catholic president. Traditionally, the recipient of the medal is announced on Letare Sunday in Lent, which was on March 12th in 1961. So not wanting to ruffle feathers so early in his presidency, Notre Dame was hesitant to bestow Kennedy the honor during his first year in office. Breaking tradition of keeping the name secret until Letare Sunday, University President Reverend Theodore Hesburgh notified Kennedy in advance on February 14th giving him the option to decline it if it would cause too much public consternation. Kennedy accepted the offer, but the presentation wouldn't occur until November 22nd, 1961. The Latare presentation ceremony was not yet a staple of commencement exercises, and Notre Dame officials more often took the medal to the recipients rather than have them come to campus. So on November 22nd, 1961... Father Hesburgh happened to be meeting with Kennedy and others for a Commission on Civil Rights meeting. So later that afternoon, Father Hesburgh and Notre Dame Vice President Father, uh, Father Edmund P. Joyce presented Kennedy with the Latari Medal in the Oval Office. So throughout Kennedy's administration, Father Ted served on the Commission on Civil Rights and the board of the National Science Foundation, Father Ted also played a significant role in shaping Kennedy's 1961 Peace Corps initiative, making Notre Dame one of the first university sponsors and training centers for the program. So, unfortunately, that relationship that Kennedy, Father Ted and the University of Notre Dame had forged over the over the previous decade plus, nearly decade and a half, ended very abruptly. In November of 1963, when President Kennedy was killed by assassins in Dallas, Texas. So when recalling Kennedy 50 years after his death on the 50th anniversary, the 96-year-old father, Ted, said that Kennedy was, quote, was almost always in the right corner. He was in favor of the right things. He really died long before he had a chance to pull it all together. He continued, The truest tragedy is not that some like John Kennedy fall victim along the way, but that so many others lack both the commitment and the dedication to get started. Those who fall along the way do indeed become great beacons of light for all who follow him, he wrote. So who would have thought? President John Kennedy, and if you're aware of this, then you know more than I did on this front, but... That President John F. Kennedy, uh, before he was president, that is, he spoke at a Notre Dame commencement. He was named Patriot of the Year by the Notre Dame students, attended at least one Notre Dame football game that could be verified, but I read plenty of other places that he actually attended several Notre Dame football games in his life. And then finally, of course, he was awarded the highest honor that the university bestows upon American Catholics the Latare medal. So that was a presidential connection. Notre Dame and John F. Kennedy. So I hope that you enjoyed that. I hope you learned something. I know I sure did, and it was fun doing the research. But we'll be right back with show wrap-up right after this. It's just funny sometimes. I Okay, so I really like John F. Kennedy, and I admitted to that before we started that whole endeavor, and I'm not afraid to admit it. He's one of my favorite presidents. However, uh, since I started this podcast nearly a year ago, I was, I've been thinking, like, you know what would be really neat is if we could somehow tie John F. Kennedy back to the University of Notre Dame, and I'm not even going to lie to you. Uh, honestly, before I started researching this for this episode about a month ago, I typically work on a couple episodes at a time, which... I don't know why I just kind of do, but I was thinking it would be kind of a reach. Like Alex, how how far how deep down are you gonna have to get to make a connection between John F. Kennedy and the University of Notre Dame outside of the fact that they're both they both identify as Catholic? And so I was very pleased, needless to say, of how easy it was to connect the two. And it just again to me. Notre Dame and the football team are one and anything that adds to the lore to the to the football team adds to the lore and legend uh, and myth of the school and vice versa so this really strong connection with uh, President Kennedy is I guess you know what just just add it to the list uh, another cool thing about the school so I do hope you enjoyed that and I did another episode back in September of last year uh, episode 6. And it was called um, Father Ted and MLK, Hand in Hand Against Injustice, which I think is, I mean, I just call it uh, just call it as it is. It's fairly relevant these days. But however, I did discuss the origin of that famous photograph with the two men and really takes place in roughly the same time frame and there's a lot of the same characters obviously and it's just kind of very similar in flavor to this one so two episodes are coming down the pike both i'm super excited for and so i teased a couple episodes ago about doing one uh, an episode about the origin of notre dame's victory march i promise you folks that's coming up some point soon I've, i i was one that i was working on that i kind of had to push a little bit to the back because of these next two So number one is I want to do a a review episode of Jeffrey Harrell's As God's Witness, The Death of Canute Rockney, a recently released book. I actually posted it out on the Facebook page that it had been released. So I'm currently on chapter seven and I'm just kind of chugging right along. I'm not getting through it as fast as I'd like just because it's been a little bit crazy here the last couple weeks but i am super excited to finish it i'm super eager to do a review episode just to share my thoughts on it in case you hadn't uh, in case you're like who what who who is this and what is he talking about so jeffrey harrell jeff was on the show episode 17 i interviewed him about this mob bomb theory about how al capone's mob facilitated the plane crash of and the subsequent death of Notre Dame coach Knute rockney so Uh, I interviewed him. uh, This was at the beginning of March. So kind of right before this uh, stay at home and quarantine stuff really kicked off. So I was happy I was able to get him then. So I interviewed him about the book then. And then back in, I believe, October of last year, I did a whole episode, a true crime episode, uh, where I kind of used Jeff's earlier work pretty heavily. To talk about this mob bomb theory. So now the book has been officially released. It's out there. Like I said, I'm on chapter seven. It's fantastic. It reads, it reads so, so just smooth and easy. But I'll save I'll save my thoughts for the review episode. But the next episode, another episode I should say, that's coming down the pike, is we have here in Richmond, Indiana, a kicker at the local high school. His name's Gage Pewterball, and he is being recruited by Notre Dame. And so he took a visit to Notre Dame, an official football visit, uh, earlier this year. So anyways, Gage is a kid. uh, Sorry, I hate to say he's a kid. He's a young man now. I coached him when he was a kid in soccer. I couldn't have been a very good soccer coach because I never really played soccer growing up. But um, I uh, I was one of his soccer coaches when he was younger. And he is an excellent young man. He's got a great head on his shoulders, and I'm so happy that he is... Um, that he's being pursued by several Division One schools. So, anyways, I'm driving around town and I saw Gage out on one of the uh, the middle school, one of the middle school fields, practicing field goals. Um, and so I just rolled my window down, I waved to him, and then I kind of was able to reconnect with him as a result. And so he's going to come on and talk to us about, you know, the recruitment process and what it's like to be, you know, pursued by not just some Division One football programs, but how about the University of Notre Dame. And so I'm really excited to have him on because, like I said, he's just a really nice young man. He's gonna go far. So a few thank yous are in order. First and foremost, of course, again, thank you to you for taking some time to listen today. So some of you have been around here since the beginning, almost a whole calendar year. And man, I appreciate your I appreciate your company. And so I know others may have just discovered the show. And I am, of course, incredibly grateful for your company as well. So next to the show's consensus, All Americans, a super special sect of show listeners who support the efforts monetarily to keep it 100% ad-free for all of us to enjoy and allows the show to continue to push boundaries. Because let's be honest, man, this is a show that is based around stories and nothing kills a story more than an uh, uh, interruption of flow. And by that, I mean a commercial right in the middle of it. So So I have two guys I want to thank. First up is Brad Glazer of Williamsburg, Indiana, which isn't too terribly far from Onward to Victory Studios here in Richmond, Indiana. So thanks, Brad. I appreciate it, and I appreciate uh, your support. Big time. And second, a special thank you to Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, who is the show's most recent Consensus All-American. So thanks, Michael. I really appreciate the support. I know Michael and Brad have both been listeners for quite a few months now. Um, I think Michael's been listening probably since October of last year. So kind of a kind of an OG as far as listeners to the show is concerned. But I thank both of you big time and your your help and your Your support is so greatly appreciated. So just as a reminder, anyone who donates anything to the show uh, in this manner, 100% go directly back into the show. So I'll talk about the Consensus All-American program here in just a moment. As always, thank you to Joseph Rakish, who allows us to use his song, Knut Rockney as our theme. So you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Give it a spin. And if you dig the show, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple icon on your iPhone, Spotify, as well as Podbean at onwardtovictory.podbean.com. So what can you do if you're not in a position to donate to the show? That's perfectly fine. Please like, subscribe, do whatever you got to do. Give the show five stars on Apple It's all greatly appreciated. Make sure you're getting all the new episodes. Interact with the show on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash onward to victory. We have tons of new members on Facebook. So welcome to all of you. And please feel free, anyone, to make sure your voice is heard on that platform. If you want to keep it a little bit more private, please send the show a message on Facebook or an email at Podcast at gmail.com. So if you'd like to name yourself to the Onward to Victory Consensus All-American list, and join loyal sons, Brad and Michael. Become a loyal son or daughter yourself, so to speak. You can do so very simply. A $10 donation to the show will sponsor a couple episodes and get your name called out as a consensus all-american over the air. So one-time donations, head over to paypal.me slash onward to victory. Or if you want to donate a certain amount per month, any denomination is appreciated. Pa- Patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. And as I mentioned, all of it, all the support is greatly appreciated. That includes you listening through that episode, learning a little bit about John F. Kennedy and his inexorable connection to the University of Notre Dame. And again, thank you so very much for your time today. I hope you are staying well. Sincerely, the world is, the world's the world right now. And it's, so there's a lot of unrest and, you know, there's just a lot going on do what you have to do to keep positive, stay healthy and well, as I mentioned, always in mind and body, as well as spirit. We're all in this together. And I think we're going to come out on the other side of this much stronger. I sincerely believe that. So again, thank you for your time. Look forward to new episodes coming down the pike. One about Jeff Harrell's Uh, book review about uh, As God's Witness, the death of Canute Rockney, and then the other with an interview with a local guy, Gage Pewterball, who's being currently recruited by Notre Dame to kick for him. So really exciting stuff. But I reckon it's time for me to sign off. This has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And as always, in kindness, until there is nobody left to listen, I am your host, Alex Painter. As always, go Irish.